We're in our second week of the book of James. We started last week. We talked about works versus faith. And this week we get to cover, I think, the most practical part of the book of James, where James spends a little bit of time talking about our speech, talking about our words, which begs the question from us this morning, have you ever said something that you regretted? Yes, right? I mean, like, have you ever had one of those moments where you, even in the moment, right after you said it, you just felt like your foot was jammed all the way in your mouth, right? And you would be willing to go back and do just about anything to take those words back out of your mouth, collect yourself for just a moment, and have a shot to do it all, to do it all over again. There are 170,000 words in the English language, and we, on average, speak about 15,000 of those words a day, which adds up to roughly, and I don't know if I really trust this, but this is what Google said, so I'm going to share it with you, right? Roughly 280 million words that we will speak in a lifetime, which, if you are like me, is plenty of chances to put your foot in your mouth, right? I mean, there are no shortage of opportunities for us to say what we don't want to say, for us to, miss, for us to misspeak. Which means, I think we can all agree, even on the front end of this teaching and on the front end of our time in the Scripture, we don't even know what it says yet. And I think we can all agree that words matter and that words seem to have a power above many other things in our life. I'm going to tell you a story about somebody else that put their foot in their mouth, right? I'm, I'm not going to tell a story about me because I have that power, okay? One of my best friends, his name is Sam. He's a pastor out in Fort Worth. You've probably heard me talk about him before. We talk on the phone very often, bouncing sermon ideas off of one another and talking about ministry. And he gave me permission to tell this story, but I think it is one of the all-time greatest stories of truly just putting your foot in your mouth. Sam transferred from Millsaps College in Mississippi to the University of Arkansas his, his sophomore year. And it was during that time when he was trying to make new friends at the University of Arkansas, and he didn't really know many people, that he got invited to go and watch a football game at, at somebody's house. He got invited to go watch the, the Cowboys game. And he knew a few people that would be there, right? A few people had invited him, but really, by and large, he had no clue who was going to be at this house watching, watching this game with him. And let me say, too, Sam is one of the biggest Cowboys fans that I have ever met. If you've spent any time in Dallas, then you know that Cowboys fans are just built a little bit different. They're one of those fan bases that they truly believe, truly, with all that they are at the beginning of every football season, that this is their year. Every year they believe that they have the potential to win it all, that this is the year that they're going to take the Super Bowl back home. And Sam, like many other Cowboys fans, tends to get a little emotionally and spiritually invested in the games. Well, this was the first game of the season. So like every year, this was the year for Sam, right? And, and, his, and his Cowboys. The hopes were high. The expectations were unrealistic. And halftime rolls around, and the Cowboys are down 28-3 to to the 49ers. And Sam, unsurprisingly, is a little frustrated. So he starts to complain about his team to the mostly strangers that are sitting around him about all of the things that they're doing wrong and all of the things that he would do different if he was the coach, right? What all of the mistakes that they're making that's leading to this horrible first, first half. 
And he kind of starts to get on a roll, right? You've seen this happen before. He starts to get on a roll. And he eventually ends up talking about Jerry Jones, who is the owner of the Cowboys. And he starts to say some not really nice stuff about Jerry. And as he did, one of the girls that was sitting next to him started to kind of engage in the conversation with him. And and as he puts it, he was really surprised at just how much Cowboys knowledge she really seemed to have, like franchise knowledge, right? Like not just the first half, but like she knew the Cowboys. And so they started to talk back and forth, and she begins to make the case for for why the Cowboys are in good hands with the Jones family, with Jerry Jones as as the owner. And Sam is just adamantly disagreeing, right? Like, how could you possibly think this after that first half? And he finally makes the statement that he doesn't think the Dallas Cowboys are going to win another Super Bowl until Jerry Jones goes on to glory. And right when he said that, the friend that invited him jabbed his elbow into Sam's ribs. And the girl that he was talking to just kind of took a breath, right? And she said, well, Papa does his best. (laughs) And Sam, God love him, turned to this girl and said, why are you calling Jerry Jones Papa? And she looked at him, I mean, like, I can see the face that she must have looked at him with, right? Like, you're going to make me say it. I'm just going to have to say it to you. And she says, Sam, Jerry Jones is my grandfather. And of course, he tried to apologize, right? I mean, he tried to go back and take those words back and tried to apologize for talking trash about her grandfather to her as she was sitting right there and wishing him dead practically, right? But it was too late. I mean, the damage had clearly already been done, hadn't it? It's just one of a million different ways that we can see that words, if we are careless with them, they can really do a lot of damage. I mean, if Sam had played his cards differently there, he could have been looking at box seats for his whole time at the (laughs) University of Arkansas. But instead, it was a very different story for him. He claims that they maintained this friendship, but I don't know if I completely believe him. He wanted me to be sure to tell y'all that, that like they were friends after this, but I I don't know. Like I said earlier, our passage from James this week speaks directly into that truth that I think we all know, that our words carry power. And it is really important, especially for us as believers, how we choose to use those words. So this morning, we are in James chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verses 3 through 12. Let's read it together. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, or make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. Two weeks into James, and if you haven't figured it out already, James doesn't really mince his words, does he? I mean, he writes so directly, and he just gets straight to the point with no flowery language. He doesn't dance around what he's trying to say. He just, he just says it. It's one of the things that, that I love about James, that when you pick up this book, it is so practical that you really, you really don't have to do any research or any exegesis or any look at the history of the book to understand what it is that James is trying to tell us. You don't have to know very much about horses to understand that it's a small bit in the horse of a mouth that leads the entire body. You don't have to be a sailor or have spent a lot of time on boats to understand that it's really only a small rudder that truly directs the the direction of even the biggest ships. You don't have to be a scientist to know that salt water doesn't flow from the same place as, as fresh water or that a fig tree doesn't produce olives. And I'm no psychologist, but I know, I know that a very small word can have a long-lasting impact on someone's life and on someone's thinking. You've all felt this before. Ten compliments can be completely wiped out by a single insult. I remember really fighting this when I was early on in my preaching days and preaching some of my first sermons. I would finish a sermon at at the big church that I was working at in Dallas, and I would get 10 great sermons after I preached. But the one person that would come up to me and say, eh, not your best this morning. That was all that I could remember. You felt this before, haven't you? Your spouse can even tell you you got so much good feedback, but all you can think about is the one negative thing that somebody said to you. And look, guys, this isn't the only place in Scripture that that the power and the importance of words is mentioned. Proverbs says a lot about this as well. Proverbs says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs also says that that a soothing tongue is a tree of life, and a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. It's the same message, isn't it? The tongue, even though it is one of the smallest muscles in the body, it literally has the power to bring life or to bring death. It has the the power to to, to build up or the power to, to crush a spirit. I mean, those pesky things that we call words, they have literally started wars and negotiated peace. I mean, they have built relationships that turned into lifelong marriages, and they have torn families apart. Words are so powerful. And James, in most of this passage that we just read, he spends most of his time talking about the power and talking about the danger of our our words. How great a forest is set ablaze by even a small 
fire. How the tongue is this untamable thing, saying it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. But I think you know, just like I know, you know of all the damage that our words can do, but surely you know of all of the good that they can do as well. Because words can bring joy and life and peace and grace and hope into our world and into our communities as well. It seems fitting on Mother's Day to to share this with you. My son Reed turned one just a few weeks ago, and one of my favorite things right now is watching my wife Madison do her very best to try and teach him new words. No one should be surprised that his first words were what? Come on, you know what they were. They were dada. I was very proud of that. I mean, who could blame him, right? First words, dada. But not only were they his first words, they were his only words for a long time. Everything was dada. It did not matter what it was. Our dog, a piece of bread, his toys, his milk, mama, everything, everything was dada. And I loved watching Madison try and coax the words mama out of him. And it went about as you would as you would expect. He would be eating or playing or we'd be in the middle of a diaper change and she would look at him and get his attention and get his eye contact and she would go, read, read, can you say mama? And he would look at her and he would look at me and he would look back at her and he would say what? Dada. Oh, it was amazing. No one told me how great that feeling was before I was a parent. Like, it just made me feel like I was on top of the world. But one day, he finally said it. He finally got the word out, and I will never forget it. I wasn't in the room. I was in the living room, and Madison was back in his nursery changing his diaper, and I heard her do the same thing, right? Eye contact, get his attention, try and coax it out of him, let him watch her mouth say it, and he finally said it. Mama. He had to work, but he finally said it. And when those words came out, you would have thought that Madison won the lottery, right? You would have thought that we're not going to have to work another day in our life. I mean, it was like the world had ended. This is what we've been waiting on. He finally said it. I mean, she reacted like this was the biggest accomplishment of his life and that it always would be, that he finally said it. And it was yet another reminder to me that words don't just have the power to cause death and to cause evil and to cause hurt and to cause pain and to cause all of those things. But they have the power to do good as well, to bring joy, even the simplest of words. I, I think it's great for us to, to have the goal to not say any negative stuff. Right? So often you hear our speech phrased like that, like I'm not going to gossip, I'm not going to tear down, I'm not going to cause hurt with my words. But I just don't think we can stop there. I don't, I don't really think that's what we're called to do. I don't think we're called as Christians to just not do harm with our speech. I don't think the calling here is to just be a people who aren't producing bad fruit with our words. I think the real calling is to be a people who are producing good fruit with our words. A people who are speaking grace and speaking hope and speaking love and speaking truth, which can sound really daunting. And I think sometimes we hear that and we go, well, I don't really know where to start with that. 
I don't really know how to make that a constant in the back of my head so that every single word that comes out of my mouth is one that I am confident will bring good fruit and not bring bad fruit. And I think for us this morning, a really good place for us to start to discern what that might actually look like for us is to simply look at Jesus. How did Christ use his words? How did Christ speak to others when he walked the earth? And what would it look like for us to be a people who follow Christ by the way that we speak? And you don't have to get very far in the Gospels to get a really good grip on how Jesus used his words. He spoke words of invitation. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Here and in many other places, he said, everybody is welcome with me. Jesus spoke words of comfort. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they will be satisfied. Here and in many other places, Jesus speaks words of hope and of comfort. He spoke words of encouragement. Jesus healed many in Scripture, and oftentimes when they would praise him for what he had done, he would decline and say, no, it is your faith that has made you well. It it is your faith, it is your belief in a God who heals that has allowed this to happen in your life. He spoke words of hope all over the place in his ministry. In the Gospel of John, he says this, In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am you may also be. He spoke words of resurrection. Remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls a dead man Lazarus out of the grave. He simply says, Lazarus, get up. And suddenly there is a dead man walking. He spoke words of forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the midst of the most unimaginable suffering and pain, as he hung on a cross in front of the crowds that were using their words to mock him, he still used his tongue to bear good fruit, to express love and kindness and mercy. Even today, like we do in here every week, we're going to close the service by coming to the table and we will hear the words of Jesus. We're going to receive communion. And as we do, we will hear him say to us, this is my body. This is my blood, which is given for you. See, it's, it's not enough for us to just try and not say unkind things. It's not enough for us to just have the goal of not producing bad fruit with, with our words. I think we've got to be willing to work a little harder than that, to perhaps follow the example of Christ a little bit more closely than that, and actually seek to be a people who are producing good fruit with how we use our speech. And we have the model laid before us, don't we, in Christ, a way for us to speak words of hope and words of encouragement and words of love. I mean, really, if you think about that, if all of us really tried our best to do that, what would happen if that was what the church was known for? What would it be like if that was what, if that was what we were known for, this worshiping community? What if we were known for the life that we chose to speak, for the way that we follow Jesus with how we use the words that come out 
of our mouth? What if we were known for speaking like Jesus? Imagine if all of us this week sought to live our lives just a little bit differently and paid a little bit closer attention to how it was that we were using our speech and especially how it reflected back on our faith. The question for us is obvious at the end of this teaching. How will we use our words? How are we going to do it? How are we going to use those 170,000 words that make up the English language? What are we going to do with those 15,000 opportunities that we have every single day to speak a word of love and truth and hope? When we look back at all of the words that we spoke in our lifetime, what will the fruit of that speech be? How are we going to use our words as a people of faith? Are we going to use them to tear down? Are we going to put our foot in our mouth and insult a billionaire's granddaughter? Are we going to default to gossip and harm and division and pain? Or will we speak life using even the simplest of words, knowing that one word can cause someone to see the reflection of God as clear as possible? Will we let the life that we speak be what we are known for as followers of Jesus? Will we be a people who are speaking grace? Because Jesus did. And friends, I think we should too. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.